1: You're listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan here in Pasadena, California. I'm a writer and producer, and it's some, some summertime. How's everyone doing? <laughs> Jewel, how you doing? I'm doing great, Leanne. I'm Julie Dolan. I'm the oldest sister, and I, I've moved to Colorado. Yeah, I'm going to be out here for the summer running a Nana Camp. Uh, campers arrive this week, so it's gonna be exciting. Uh, Those would be my grandchildren that are gonna gonna come here. And we're, we're gonna have some fun, yep. All right,
0: well, this is Liz Dolan, I'm the middle sister. I live in Santa Monica, California, but I'm in Bend, Oregon, because here in Bend, Oregon, I have a little bungalow with a backyard, which is a prime feature when you're isolating to be able to go sit in your own backyard. So it's Hooper and I there in the backyard. We're having a grand time, aren't we Hoopy? Oh, yeah. We're enjoying it. We're enjoying it here in Oregon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today's kind of a special show, a little bit different than our normal format. We basically have two segments we're going to bring you. Uh, Liz is going to do Working It Out. You have some workplace questions, Liz. So you're putting yeah. on your, um, you know, your your workplace expertise. My advice. It's your workplace mask now. Not it's a hat. Right.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure anyone has the answers to what's going on in workplaces now, sisters, you know, it's we just all have to kind of be flexible, but be strong. It's a hard line to walk. So yeah, that's what we're talking about.
1: And then later on in the show, we're going to be joined by Susan Wiggs. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Her latest book is called The Lost and Found Bookshop, and it's a delightful escape for the summer. I think you're going to love it. Julie and I both enjoyed it. She has, you know, a number one New York Times bestseller. She's been published in 20 languages and 30. countries she lives in the beautiful Pacific Northwest and she just like writes like crazy and it's uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know her over the last couple of weeks because we've done a couple of book events together so I'm really happy that she's on the show but this particular book has a really nuanced portrait of um, you know an elderly man uh, in the beginning stages of dementia and it just touched both Julie and I like the book is about a lot more than that but we're looking forward to talking to Susan about that because you don't see that a lot in a lot of contemporary work. It's sort of these cartoony versions of what that's like. And that's not the case at all here. So we'll be talking to Susan from her home in the Pacific Northwest at the end of the show. But okay. big news this week new sure. website. I mean, Liz, you did it. Well, we Thank you, Liz. It.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we it,
1: it. It, it wasn't just me. There was, a, there was a lot of it was a
0: squad. Uh, but yeah, our, you know, a website refresh was overdue. And we knew it, right? We all right. knew it. And we just kept not con- just consistently not getting around to it. But there's something about, you know, a pandemic that traps you in your home with nothing else to do for a number of months that you can get a lot of other things done. So
1: boom, we got a new website. <laughs> it's yeah, It's sweet. actually, yes. We should thank our designer, Kate, from Out of the yeah. Box, who who did it. We we don't yeah. know how to do that stuff. No, we know we... we need to do it. <laughs> yes. We know we should do it, uh, but we don't know how to do it. So Kate did a fantastic job. And so now it's updated. It's, it's a much better mobile application than our previous one. You know, here's the thing about running a website like they're constantly changing. You yeah. you could build a new website every year with the changes. We can't yeah. afford to build one every year, so you're going to have to just be happy with every 5 years, satellite <laughs> sisters, right Les? <laughs> yes. Well, that's a, that's a nice way to put it, Leanne. No, just, but just I be think happy that... with whatever we give you. Right. So I think this
0: one will make everyone happy. It's very simple. It's very clear and it's beautiful. Like Yes more photos, brighter colors. It's just, it's just much more fun, I think, sister. So that's the spirit we wanted to bring to the world. Right. So, okay. A couple of important things that are different. You know, the the latest episode will always be right on the homepage, you know, the way it's been in the past. But in the past, it was like a whole bunch of episodes right there. Nope. Now you're going to get the latest one there. And then there's a big pink box that's labeled podcast. (laughs) And you just click on that and it takes you to all of the other shows and all of the other show notes. So I think that will be pretty simple uh, for people to do. There's sections with info on our books, Leanne, mainly yours. So that looks lovely, don't you think?
1: Yeah, Liz, the book section looks great. It's easy to find. There are links to the bookshop.org to buy it, but our Satellite Sisters books and the Leanne Dolan books, all great. I mean, it's really just a It's fun to scroll through the whole thing Mm -hmm. because, again, lots of pictures. And then you can figure out how to book us as speakers or sponsor the show. There are options there, too, if those are of interest to you. Yep. It's a, one, it's a one-stop
0: shop for all things Satellite Sisters, so enjoy. We hope you will enjoy. Of course, you know, we're still on Facebook with the page and with the Facebook group, and we're on Instagram and Twitter, and from the site, you can click through directly to any of those places. You can easily join, follow us in any of those places from the site. So it's a social community. It's a website. It's a store. It's all things Satellite Sisters.
1: Yeah, a big thanks to Kate. She did a great yes. job.
0: Yeah, Kate McMillan is her name and her company is out of the box. So really, and just a pleasure to work with. Okay, so uh, in other entertainment notes, which we're just going to do here at the top of the show... I've decided that here I am, as I mentioned, I have a little backyard here in Bend, and uh but still mainly you know my pod is just me and oprah, and uh so I've decided that now that I'm paying for all these streaming services, you know, I told you I really didn't wanna pay for Disney plus, but I could not stop myself because <laughs> i because I had to watch uh Hamilton, of course um I've decided that I'm gonna set up some uh Outdoor movies in my own backyard. That's my personal entertainment. And then I can occasionally invite over like a couple of people. We can be very widely socially distanced. It's breezy out there. So um, I don't really have a projector yet. I'm starting to work on that. If anyone has any suggestions, that would be good. But when we remember when we showed the home movies, the family home movies at the Mm -hmm. family reunion. Right. Yeah. Well, that's because several of our family members are public school teachers and they just borrowed the projectors from the school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure was authorized, yes. I'm
0: sure they oh, no. sent those projectors out. hmm yeah. I'm sure it was 100% authorized. So, um, so here's my July calendar of showings. I decided that I was gonna watch movies that are ingrained in popular culture, but that I have to admit, i have never seen so well the first one obviously is hamilton and so i'm just going to watch that but then so that's disney plus then i pay for netflix so i'm going to watch the matrix can you believe i've never seen the matrix have you guys seen it
1: yeah yeah, i've been forced to see it yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah see i i never have anyone to force me to see it so i (laughs) just don't like that but but everyone's Everyone constantly refers to The Matrix and The Blue Pill and the blah, blah. I feel like I need to see The Matrix. Then, uh, so that's Netflix. Then, to make the most of my Hulu subscription, I've never seen any of the Deadpool movies. And those really do look fun. And I love Ryan Reynolds. Have you guys seen those?
1: No.
0: Yeah, I saw the first one. Yeah. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, it's fine. Saw- it's fine. Okay.
0: It's fine. <laughs> okay. It's fine. okay. Okay. And then uh and then I also pay, of course pay for Amazon Prime. So on Amazon, I cannot believe I've never seen this movie. I have never seen The Princess Bride. Oh
1: I'm my gosh. Yeah. You that need surprises. to see this Yeah.
0: I that's know. Right. It's a, it surprises me too. I don't know why. Right. Yeah. I just Just never got it. I usually don't watch movies on TV. I like I love to go to movie theaters. You know those days are over, but I used to love to go to movie theaters. So if I missed it in a theater, I just never saw it. But now I'm going to have my own backyard movie theater, and uh, I'm (laughs) going I'm going to get my money's worth out of all those streaming services. And uh, for the family reunion, we just strung up a sheet, and that was good enough. So right,
1: right, yeah. It's I the projection it. that it's the projection. I'm curious to see if you can pull off. So keep yeah. us posted. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, list, I, I think, I think you should add jaws to the list. Okay. That's a oh, summer classic. Even if you've already, class. even yeah. if you've already seen it, you know that Uh, it's summertime and okay. you know, we need jaws. I mean, if that would, you know, Oh, the no, that's world good could be So, so good. If we could only just worry about a big shark. <laughs> or uh, uh you know, in honor of Carl Reiner who we talked about last week, uh the Russians are coming. Another great oh, sort of it's got a little summer, you know, set in the that's summer. That's a good so one. That's a good doesn't
0: one. Doesn't that happen? Is that Nantucket or yeah, that's hey, right odd or yeah, yes? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good suggestion, Julie. The Russians are coming. Okay. I we, we saw that when we were kids, but I only have a vague recollection. Okay. Anyway, so lots of outdoor movies for me. And if anyone does have one of these outdoor projectors, that is, if you've already trouble done all the troubleshooting in your own backyard, just put a note in the Facebook group to, to recommend a product. So there you go. That's my entertainment. And then the I'll, I'll think of other things to do too, but this at least will be complicated and take up a lot of time. That's right, the... I was
1: gonna say, you're just <laughs> producing your head off up there with the cooking with Liz and the outdoor movie. You know. I know, you know? okay, let's <laughs> sure. go for it. We're proud of you, Liz. Good work.
0: <laughs> okay, so now let's talk about work because obviously that is mainly what I do—is work. I give advice about work. So you know, we've we've um, started a new segment on Satellite Sisters called "Working It Out" because people, everyone's got a lot of questions about current workplace and what to do. And you know, on my other show, Safe for Work, I gave a lot of advice um, to people that had career questions or just workplace issues or somebody they couldn't get along with. So, uh, so we're gonna do a little bit of that here today. And I had two main things that I want to talk about. So I have solicited, you know, some of your issues and I'm gonna do that again at the end. But, so the first is a very um, specific piece of advice I wanted to give because we got a back channel communication from a listener whose boss said to the whole staff that if they weren't prepared to come in and work full-time in an office that didn't really allow social distancing, that they'd be downgraded from full-time employees to hourly workers. In other words, the boss basically said, no more work from home for full-time folks. So the question I got is, well, how do you figure out what's better? You know, going into a dangerous workplace, keeping your full-time status, or working from home and going to hourly working. And my main piece of advice is do not buy that premise. I believe that is a really false choice that the boss, you know, and this is just one department in a much larger organization. I'd be really surprised if the boss had the authority to do something like that. Doesn't that seem not legal? (laughs) That seems, especially when, almost every institution in America is trying to accommodate work from home, mm-hmm. that they would effectively be allowed to downgrade all of their employees. So that means your, you know, a lot of your benefits start to go away. I mm-hmm. I just do not buy the premise. So don't immediately start spinning like, oh, which choice is better? The first thing you need to do is challenge the premise with the appropriate authorities. So in this case, I recommended seeking professional advice, which just starting with, with the HR department, because, you know, in big organizations, you have one. A lot of people work in places without, without an HR department. I learned that on Safe for Work. You'd be shocked how many companies just, well, we don't really have that here. But the HR department will know what the organizational standards are. And an important thing to remember is the HR department does not work for you. They work yeah. to protect the company. Right, Julie? That's that's, that's
1: an important, uh, that's an important piece of information, Liz. Yeah. yeah. They're not really on your side. They're there for the company. Yeah. Yes. Which, but you then, know, this, they can tell right. you the company policy. Exactly. But, uh, that's right. why
0: I think it's ideal in this situation, because if the boss is trying to do something that he or she is not allowed to do, then the HR department would want to know about it and would want to step in because this feels to me like it would be running afoul of. Employment laws. Again, I'm no lawyer. I don't know. Just my gut instinct is "Mm, this seems fishy. So this is the ideal scenario to immediately go to the HR department and find out what is the company-wide policy, because I know people don't want to push back. You know, everybody's concerned about getting laid off. You don't want to be the squeaky wheel because there are going to be more layoffs coming at a lot of companies. So you don't want to be that person. Um, But, you know, spoiler alert, some bosses are just petty tyrants who don't care about the actual rules. And you're, (laughs) you know?
1: (laughs) That's another important piece of information. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, have you ever had a boss like that? Like, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, well, it's fine if it's like, you know, minor things. But when it comes to like health and safety regulations in the workplace, that's not the kind of person you want to be working for. Anyway, so some bosses are petty tyrants. So just uh, this is something that that was my recommendation. That would be my recommendation here. Go to a higher authority. In this case, it's ideal for the HR department to kind of lay it out because then they're the ones that should go back to the boss and straighten this out. So does that seem legit to you guys? Just Yes, that's
1: <laughs> yeah. good.
0: Okay, so then there was the larger question, almost all the questions that we're getting or just comments or stories we're getting, all have to do with this larger issue of do I have to go back, right? Like there are just so many people that are afraid to go back, their their workplaces don't feel safe to them, or transportation to work, how are they going to safely get there? I don't want to take the subway, or like if my kids don't go back to school, how do I How do I go back? So this huge issue of, like... Do I have to go back? It's going to be on everyone's minds all summer. So there's a great story in the LA Times that covers a lot of elements of this. And so I'm going to put a link in the show notes because it also has a lot of good resources because again, I don't really know. I am not OSHA. I am not an employment lawyer, but I'm just trying to direct you in the right places. So, um, So the link will be in the show notes. But the first thing I'd say is, everything is changing all the time, right? Just think of what's changed again in the past 10 days as, right. the, as the pandemic comes back. So state and local rules, health guidelines, company policies, like everyone has to be flexible and we're just constantly working out a new way of working. So I put that in the show notes. Oh, and one more thing about OSHA, like, cause I was doing research to, to talk about this. OSHA actually does like no cost on-site safety and health consultation for small businesses because they know there there are a lot of small businesses that they have no idea what to do. So, you know, it's... It's no cost and it's confidential and they'll do this for small and medium sized businesses. Um, And also they wanted to be clear in everything I read that this is separate from the OSHA enforcement group. So you can't, don't worry, you can't get any penalties or citations. This is a group that will come in and make recommendations. Now, how long it takes to get on their schedule? I have no idea, but I just thought that was an interesting resource that I did not know about. And then Then the only other, the main thing I want to suggest is push back as a group. If you're finding that your workplace is not really um, putting you first or looking after your health and safety in the way you would like it to be looked after, you know, talk to your coworkers. And when you go to your boss, say, we have concerns. Because just legally, I can tell you that has a lot more power if it, if the we is a group and it offers all of the individuals in the group more legal protection from retaliation because i know that's another thing people worry about is like they don't want to be the one to step up because they'll get punished so if you if you sort of join together as a team and present your helpful suggestions as a team that is it protects you somewhat legally and that would be good and also pushing back as a group it protects the more vulnerable employees like did you know that black employees are more than twice as likely to be subject to retaliation for raising concerns about this health and safety stuff as white employees? That was a you know that was a recent study by the National Employment Law Practice. So, you know there are all kinds of vulnerable people that and if we band together, um, you might get more work done. So I'm going to start a Facebook group thread about any of this. I'm curious to know if people are having specific career challenges like, you know, lots of times big crises like this are a time that people make big career changes or life changes, or I'm never going back to that field. I want to do this instead. So if you're one of those people that's really thinking about reinventing yourself, that would be an interesting conversation to have. Another thing, I assume there are a lot of people out there in in the Satellite Sisterhood who are having specific leadership challenges because, because they're, you know, right. A manager of a team, even if it's a small team or a big business, whatever leadership in times like this is super hard and I can say from experience, super lonely. So if that's, if those are the things you're working through, maybe we can help. We're here. We're your satellite sisters. So there you go, sisters.
1: It's the best I could do today. Wow. I'm going to get Osha in to take a look at this closet. Yeah. (laughs)
2: See where the hazards. (laughs) I'm sure
1: there's some violations in there, (laughs) Uh, Liz. Thank you. Always good. Remember in our Facebook group, if you're not a member, we would love to have you. Um, You do have to answer the membership questions. I'm just going to say that again because uh, Liz and I are the moderators of the group, and it really breaks our heart when we can't accept people because they don't answer the questions or. (laughs) when you recommend your friends, but they don't answer the questions. And we just are trying to make sure that the group is filled with people who listen to the show so that the whole ethos of Satellite Sisterhood and Mr. Hood is respected there in the Facebook group. It makes everything sort of much more civil and much more pleasant. But we would yes. love to have you just, answer, even if you answer the questions, I like when people say, like, I've never heard of this thing. What is it? Uh, that's a nice, honest answer. We like that. Yeah. Well, at,
0: least then, at least then we know you're a real person and right. not, not a bot or some, some fake person. Because uh, we, we've had that problem before, too. Yes.
1: Yeah, so many people get in and you can see very quickly, like, oh, no, they're just a bot from the psoriasis drug <laughs> companies. <laughs> right. We had one of those in a couple weeks ago. That's I was like, so boy, this person really posts a lot about psoriasis. <laughs> oh, I think they actually are a bot. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, and thank you to the people in the group who
0: quickly report those kinds of things to us. Yep. Yeah. Because it's easy for us. We can, t- we can take all of that down. We try not to let it happen in the first place, but, you know, we, we're not 100%.
1: Things slide by us. All right. Thanks, Liz. Coming up, Julie and I are going to talk to the author of The Lost and Found Bookshop, Susan Wiggs. It's her new book. It's just out today. We thought it was delightful and we look forward to talking to Susan. But first, we want to thank a couple of sponsors here at Satellite Sisters. We're back with the Satellite Sisters, and we're very excited to welcome Susan Wiggs to Satellite Sisters. Julie and I are fans, and we adore her new book, The Lost and Found Bookshop. Susan is joining us from her gorgeous home in the Pacific Northwest, and I only know that because now I'm obsessed with your Instagram feed, Susan. That's <laughs> so, so, all I got. It's all I got. Sister. I'm a
2: virtual woman
1: now. <laughs> your new book is The Lost and Found Bookshop. We're going to talk about you also have the Oysterville Sewing Circle, which is also out in paperback. So you're sort of hustling two books now. That's kind of exciting. Is it or is it a lot?
2: Do you get no, it mixed I, up? No, I actually like it because, um, you know, the one of the, the taglines that they pulled out of the Lost and Found Bookshop is, there is a book for everything. And if you're me and you've published a book like every year for the last 30 years, <laughs> there is a book for everything. So, and and I actually relate to you guys in your situation with the Oysterville Sewing Circle because the main character comes from a big family and she's smack in the middle. There's two older sisters and two younger brothers and she's the misfit in the middle. And so I know you guys are affiliated with an even bigger family and even more complicated family, but um, I related that book to you guys. Um, And then the Lost and Found Bookshop, I... Just you know, I I feel like we we connected because we both have books out in the pandemic. Your Sweeney Sisters novel, which I just loved, I was lucky to get an early copy, and I've been telling everybody to read that book. And so, um, thank you for reciprocating for reading The Lost and Found Bookshop, which is a story that is very close to my heart. It's very personal. It doesn't exactly reflect my personal situation, but there are, you know, pieces of that book that have so much of my heart in it. So I really appreciate that you have this um, broadcast for me on the day that it gets published or the week that it gets published. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, well, I, you know, Julie and I both really liked it. I mean, it features a delightful main character, a Uh super vibrant San Francisco setting, which more books should be set in San Francisco. I thought after reading your book, it has books, 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 but as you said, some really tender and human moments. Where did the story come from? The Lost and Found Bookshop? What, you know, what was
2: your inspiration? My inspiration was bookshops. And um, like most authors I know, we fantasize about having our own bookshop. And we all have our favorite bookshops all around the world. And so I picked like my favorite elements from all the bookshops that I visited, everything from, you know, the little mom and pop bookshop in upstate New York where I grew up to Shakespeare and Company um, in, Paris, in Paris, because when I was a young, um, when I was a student, I lived in Paris and Brussels, and and all the little creaky, pokey bookstores that you find in your travels. If you're an avid reader and you visit a new place, one of the first things you do is you go look, looking for the local bookstore. And so this one is kind of the culmination of this dreamy bookshop in on a historic street in San Francisco, one of those beautiful old historic buildings, one of the 25% that survived the earthquake and fire. And so that was the one that kind of caught my imagination. And then, like you said, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, You're right. Great setting.
1: All kinds of things can happen there. And they do Mm. in this book. Yeah.
2: (laughs) They do, don't they? Well, and it has every feature that you want, um, for drama, you know, it's got the waterfront and it's got, um, you know, wine country to the North and it's got Silicon Valley. If you need, you know, filthy rich people to come <laughs> creating for your novel. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it kind of it encapsulates everything that you need to, you know, throw into a yummy dramatic novel. But Julie, you, the were grabbed from the first page, right?
1: Right. I mean, Susan, I found Natalie just instantly likable from the opening scene when I'll just call her her co-worker. I won't add any adjectives. Spilled <laughs> the wine all over her shirt. And, I, you know, this was right before Natalie's big business moment. But I loved it. Natalie just buttoned up her jacket and dealt with it. And... Is that your intentions with with your books, to to hook the reader in the opening scene? I mean, for me, it was like love at first sight with Natalie. Like, okay, I'm all in with Natalie. Whatever happens to her, I'm going on this journey with her.
2: Oh, my God. Thank you for saying that, because it's a bit of a risk when you show um, a character like in media res, right in the middle of something where the reader is not all caught up. And so, but I figured everybody could relate to a difficult work situation, a bad day at the office, a bad day at work. And so I wanted to show her in her ordinary world, you know, which is about to implode on her. She has no idea. She's just living her life. She's created this very predictable, steady way of kind of calibrating herself because she considers that her childhood growing up you know upstairs in a little garret above a a bookshop was very chaotic to her and so she has sought the opposite of that and so I wanted to show what that's like you know she succeeded in doing exactly that but is she really happy with this and you know is this going to be her life she wants it to be she thinks she wants it to be and I always love um, depicting somebody at a moment of big, big change and upheaval in her life, often unexpected. And so I did. I wanted to ground her in um, in her world that she has created for herself. And, and then, of course, you know, cause that it- to implode because then you need a whole novel about it.
1: Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, her world does come undone. And I don't want to give away too many of the... You know the surprises in it, but she ends up, and this is. I, Leon and I were talking about this that she ends up, you know, caring for her grandfather, and uh, and uh, you know, he definitely has some dementia, and you know, some days are good and some days are not good. And I just thought, first of all, you you know, it 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 rang so true. The how you wrote the, all those scenes, all of that all of the interaction. Our dad, um, had Alzheimer's and I could just, I felt like it was very real. Um, so I thank you for that because I think that's important that, you know, it's all that caregiving, uh, becomes so unpredictable and, but it's all part of a steady decline and the caregiver knows that too.
2: Well, that was part of my personal situation. My dad, um, was elderly and, um, died with Parkinson's a few years back. And, uh, my mom, my widowed mom, um, develop is, is developing. She's in the early stages of dementia. And so I'm learning a lot about it. And one thing that's happened to me during the pandemic is I brought her to live with us at our home. She lived in a assisted living place, but was not doing well at all there with mm-hmm. the shutdown because no one could come and no one could leave. And, we had seen that, you know, we all see that on the news, but to actually have that be your lived experience is really scary and um, and and heartbreaking. And so we just we just went for it. And I have one sister and one brother. Uh, they very wisely are in Austin, Texas, and Australia. So <laughs> I'm the local <laughs> daughter. <laughs> and so I, I I inherited mom with open arms and you know, the whole family has. And so she now lives here. But it's a new dynamic and it's a new way to observe life through the eyes of somebody in that phase of their life. And one thing that I've leaned on so much um, while I was writing The Lost and Found Bookshop and, um, you know, just living my life are the books about it. And probably my favorite title along these lines is called Advice to Future Corpses which I know it's a really grim title uh, by Sally Tisdale. She's an RN and it's all about listening and being in the moment and not trying to fix things, but just trying to be there. And one of the, the aspects that people will recognize in Brandy in the book is that, as you mentioned before, it's a wavy road. It's not a straight line from point A to point B. It's more like, good days and bad days or good moments and 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 difficult moments and so I tried to show that with him and my my poor mom is if she hasn't given me enough in her life I'm like picking her brain going well what does it feel like when you you know have a have a hallucination is it like being high all the time And, and you know sometimes she's happy to talk to me about it and other times she'll just kind of frown and shake her head but, um, yeah, she lets me pick. She says, I'll let you pick what's left of my brain.
1: Humor gets us through
2: a lot of it.
1: That's amazing. Well, well, Natalie does end up having sort of this very multifaceted kind of caregiving that she takes on with the bookstore, with her grandfather, just the memories of her mother. I mean, that I think a lot of women can relate to that, too. Just, uh, uh, you know, things coming at you uh, from all directions.
2: I think that um, there, were, in some article that I read about it, they said, we, we have really nailed um, caregiving when you're a mother. What's it like to be a working mother who supports you? Where's your group? And how do we celebrate you? But there's another caregiving group called, the, that is the Daughters. You know, you're daughtering, and yeah. there are things. You know, daughtering is now a verb in my life, and so yeah, I'm, I'm daughtering the daughtering mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but um, it's it's a real thing because there are certain things you can you can have help, and I do have help. I'm very fortunate to have um, a um, help that comes in occasionally to help me. But there are certain things only a family member can do. Right. And, It's definitely a a commitment of time and and your energy, and I'm happy to do it, but it's definitely a commitment. And so I tried to make that be, um, I didn't try to sugarcoat it, but I also wanted to show the rewards of that.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some nuance in the book that you you rarely find. Like I've noticed the Hollywood depiction of, for instance, Alzheimer's. It's always kind of like wacky, goofy gestures that the person does. Like, oh, I'm going to take off my pants in the airport. Let's everybody take off their pants. I just remember one scene in a Justin Timberlake movie. And I'm like, I have to turn this off now because that's not what Alzheimer's (laughs) is. Like, It's just there's just no nuance to most portrayals of it. Or they There's this traumatic moment where like someone forgets your name for the first time. And did that happen with us? Yes. But there are so many other things that our dad forgot that were much more heartbreaking than our names, you know? So I was like, that's like just a tiny blip on the whole spectrum. But there are rewards. There are some surprisingly tender moments and you hope that you can get there. And I think in the book, you showed that. I mean, we're kind of making it seem like the whole book is about caregiving, but um, I think it's not. It's not. It really struck us, Susan, how nuanced your portrayal was. It was really beautiful. So, but Julie, you enjoyed the tool belt hunk. Yes, I <laughs> the hunk, with the tool belt. Okay. I mean, I know that's a dream of plenty of women. So uh, I, my question to you, Susan, is how did Peachy come to be? Uh, and
2: did you do some
1: personal research on Angie's oh, list?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I'm kind of surrounded by that because one of the, my, I'm married to Um, Jerry is a designer. He is actually an apparel designer and his, some of his clients include like Milwaukee tools. He'll he's designed their heated outerwear, not that it's anything that somebody in Southern California would relate to, but like um, you know, Chicago uh, construction workers wear his heated bib overalls and the big jacket. And, and it's very technical like that, but he's also known to design other things, including, Um, he renovates old houses, you know, he'll buy like a wreck of a, he just finished a 1915 cottage in a town near us. And, um, and then, and then, you know, puts them on the market, peach, peach Gallagher. That's a character whose name just came to me. I was like, peach Gallagher. That sounds like a, a cool guy. I should write in. He's got a ponytail and, and he's a construction worker, but he's more than that. You know, he's, he's got layers. he, has read all kinds of books, and he's ex-military, and he's a single dad, and he's got a ponytail, and he plays guitar, and so he's kind of, a lot of fantasies rolled into one.
1: He is. (laughs) He's all the fantasies, yes. And he's a straight man in San Francisco,
2: so that is like a... (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. And... Straight um, single. Yeah, yeah. And and I've always liked the name of his company. There probably is one. I call it Hammer for Hire. Oh, Yeah, that's what construction guys do. They, you know, if they're freelancers. They're, you can hire them at their rate. And so somebody needs to come in because the building is like more than 100 years old and it's falling apart. And that's one of the big fiascos in, in her life is everything else is falling apart. It's very metaphoric. You know, the building is crumbling. Um, and so you need to gut it. And if you've ever seen, you know, the gutting of an ancient, you know, Plaster, lath and plaster building—it's quite a mess. And so, as they get into the walls of the building, they start finding artifacts that were left there by, you know, they don't know who. And so, part that of that journey, yeah, was was to try to find, you know, the antecedents of these artifacts that she found in the walls. And and that came from a little piece of research that I did. I was researching old buildings in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I read that um, when soldiers were being deployed to the Philippines for the Spanish-American War, 1898-99, um, they, they needed a place to leave their stuff behind because they probably didn't have a home in the city. And so they would go to their favorite saloon and maybe hide it behind a brick or in a wall or something. And, you know, with ah. the idea that they would come back for it one day after they were done, you know, serving their, their time in the war. And so... Some of the artifacts that she finds in the walls of this old building um, relate back to that time. And so I had a lot of fun kind of piecing together what would it be and what would it mean and how would she find these people. And so that was a that was a really kind of fun aspect of that book.
1: Well, there's just a lot in the Lost and Found Bookshop. There's a lot to love, as there are in all of your your many best-selling books. And so, yeah, there's the history, there's the romance, there's the human touch. Uh, You know, I felt like I learned a lot about that period in time. So that's why, Susan, I was shocked to see. We did an event last week. You write your first drafts out in longhand. I do. I I mean. It's unbelievable to me.
2: I don't, how does that happen? Well, that's because you're probably a good trained journalist and I am not. I'm, I'm like self-taught from the age of four that I just write things down and I have tried to, and this is interesting. When I write a short piece, like a, an essay or an article, which I can only do I always work on the computer, but for a novel I'm not sure why, but I, I feel like I have to write it all out in longhand. And it's a dangerous thing because there's only the one copy. I've learned to take pictures. If I have a lot of pages that I haven't typed up yet, I take, you know, phone pictures just in case of backup because there's no other backup. But yeah, I do that, I suppose, because a novel, as you know, because you, you are a novelist as well, it's kind of like building a house and you, you can't. You've got to make the structure work and have it all of a piece. And for some reason, it feels a little too ephemeral on the computer. Oh, like it's going to yeah. just, you know, disappear into the digital ether somewhere. And I'm so old that, you know, it actually happened back in the day, you know, when, in the dawn of time and computers. I was a very early adopter of computer and a very early loser of all kinds of data. So, possibly, <laughs> oh yeah, oh. possibly I was slapped upside the head by some lost chapters. Well, I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I still do. And it is rather um, um, entertaining to grab my notebook and and leave the digital world behind and just kind of go off by myself. One book that yeah, I get,
1: I get yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Well,
2: yeah. there's a there's a book you have probably read it called On Writing by Stephen King. And it's his memoir slash how-to manual about how he writes and what works for him. And he mentions somewhere in the book that the first draft of his book is written with the door shut, meaning he doesn't talk about it in much detail with anybody. He doesn't let the world in. It's really just him telling himself the story before he opens it up to the next phase, which is, you know, revision and that sort of thing and so the, my way of shutting the door on all the extra input which I will eventually need but the first draft is is me sorting out the story on my own so possibly that's a another reason that I'm I go back to my pen and paper
1: and are you working on something now I know you're always working on
2: something yeah, yeah. I always and that- be yes and I have um oh my god I don't I I I get hives when I look at my email queue, but I saw one subject line that said your 2021 book. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah. And and I'm kind of bummed because I almost never get to keep my own title for the book that I think up. And I love my title for my 2021 book. It's called American princess. And it's, um, it's actually about, and I didn't even, I was barely knew this term when I started the book a year ago um White Privilege. It's about a, a privileged lady in um, the greater D.C. area, and her. she has an empty nest situation, and she kind of has an awakening to just the extent of her privilege, and she totally changes her life because of it. And so that is, I'm coming to, you know, I'm kind of on the home stretch on writing that. So um, oh, that hopefully... Sounds fat- fascinating
1: and timely too.
2: Yeah. 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 It's weird how the books kind of follow certain things like, um, the lost and found bookshop. I never dreamed when I was writing it that we would be in a pandemic situation and how, how great the impact would be on independent booksellers because across the, the nation, across the world, um, independent booksellers have had to close, closed their doors. And that's actually, Lee and how you and I met, is we met at a virtual event at Broman's, a really wonderful indie bookstore down in Southern California. And because we used to go on book tour, remember that? (laughs) I do. I remember
1: leaving the house. I remember leaving my closet. (laughs) It was great.
2: (laughs) I know, having a (laughs) nail appointment and a dental appointment. Uh, well, but but I did this was all this all came about after the book was done, but it I have such affection and respect for booksellers now because I've seen so much creativity. They've found ways to stay relevant and to still sell books regardless of whether or not they can open their doors. And so I'm I'm hopeful that uh, they will make it through this and, you know, turn into the vibrant community centers like the one that I built in my book. Yeah.
1: Susan, we're wrapping up here a bit, but I'm wondering if there's, well, you have your mother living with you now, so that's a big sea change. Is there anything else that you've been doing during this lockdown period that's new and you think, oh, I'll probably keep doing this? Or have you made any more changes or thinking about any changes as the last three months garnered any kind of change in your life?
2: Yes, I, uh, yeah, you're, you mentioned I have a new fellow detainee at my home. So that's, that's <laughs> new. Uh, and one thing I, I don't know how it relates to the pandemic, but it's concurrently happening, and that is the Black Lives Matter. And I become very sensitive to my privilege and what my responsibility is going to be going forward. And so one of the things that I realized. And um, if I'm going to write about a virtual bookseller, I'd better get good at it myself. I didn't read enough outside my culture. And so I started embracing book after book that probably would not have crossed my path. And so a couple of them um, were me reaching out to uh, black owned bookstores or, you know, multicultural bookstores and saying, you know, give me a book to read. I want to read something that, you know, I, somebody I've never heard of. And I've had so many, oh my God, wonderful experiences reading. um, Let's see, what did I just finish that I liked so much? Um, It's called Sabrina and Karina. And it's a, um, she's a Latinx author. um, What's her name? Callie Anstein or Anstine, I can't even but a bookseller in Colorado said oh this is what I'm putting in everybody's hand I read a book called the Henna Artist um, about um, well about a henna artist by Alka Joshi um, I read and God oh my god I just read and had my heart ripped out home going by Ya oh. and these are all books that I wasn't aware of because I was kind of in my lane. And so I want to continue to read outside my lane and learn things outside my lane. And this is my small way of doing it. And then as my, my little act of support, I try to buy these books, um, you know, via the website portal of Black-owned bookstores.
1: That is a great suggestion. Yeah, you know, there's a lot to be learned from fiction. I think uh, I've seen a lot of lists of important nonfiction work, but uh, that's something I've tried to do too. And I was like, you know, they're the, and fiction are just as relevant and moving and important and another way to experience people's lives. So that's why we write it, right? To take take people away for a bit. So it's great to read outside your lane is a great way of thinking of it. Well, Susan, we have so enjoyed talking to you. Uh, we can't recommend the Lost and Found Bookshop enough. Susan has a lot of books. It'll all be at satellitesisters.com. You'll also find it at our bookshop dot org site. Um, we have a book list there. Thank you so much for being here. Any other, any other plans for the summer? Do you do swimming up there? You paddle boarding? What do you do? What do you do (laughs) up there? Yes.
2: Yeah. Lots of swimming, boating, paddle boarding, um, looking at the scenery and trying to remember it. So, you know, when winter kind of smacks us upside the head, we, we have the memories of summer. So, Thank you. Best wishes to you and yours. Good reading. Wear your mask, wash your hands, don't touch your face.
1: <laughs> Stand back. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Okay. Bye Susan. Oh, bye bye. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Satellite Sisters today. Liz and Julie some some summertime. We're Woo-hoo. we're doing yeah. it, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Let the good let the good times roll. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, we'd also like to thank Sergio Enriquez. He also keeps us on the air. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <for> sure. <laughs> so thank you, Sergio. We appreciate you connecting us every day. Keep keeping us connected, Sergio. That's the way to do it. All right, sisters. Have a great week. You too, Lillian. And don't forget, call your satellite sister.